Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 26th day of 2016. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, More About Alcoholism, and we are on page 37 and we will be beginning with the second paragraph. And today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Cheryl R. The Twelve Traditions, Barbara N. And our text readers are Kathleen W., Kathy K., and Chrissy M. And our newcomer greeter today is Devorah S. And the share ID for yesterday, Thursday, the 25th day of February, is 8491. 8491. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's sole purpose. OA's tradition... Fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Cheryl R. to read the 12 steps for us. Thank you, Monica. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Hi, this is Cheryl R. from Virginia. The 12 steps. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step
step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Cheryl R. I will now ask Barbara N. to read the 12 traditions for us. Thank you, Monica. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much for letting me do service. Thank you, Barbara N. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we're resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We will be uh, reviewing paragraph two 
And the first reader is going to be reading paragraph two and three. Paragraph two is for context only, comments on paragraph three. And I will ask Kathleen W. to begin reading for us. Hi, this is Kathleen W. recovered from Phoenix, Arizona. Can you hear me, Monica? Yes, yes. Okay. All right. So you may think this is an extreme case. To us, it is not far-fetched. For this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences. But there was always the curious mental phenomenon, the parallel with our sound reasoning, which inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. Next day, we would ask ourselves in all earnestness and, and sincerity how it could have happened. In some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or, or the like. But even this type of beginning, we are... But even in this type of beginning, we are obliged to admit that our justification with us for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happened. We now see that when we began to drink deliberately instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be. So <clears throat> this week... We've been reading about the mental twist that comes before picking up that first bite and how insane it is compared to the normal drinker or compulsive overeater. And I pulled out some things we've been reading in Jim's story that explain our insanity because we're talking about insanity that goes through our, our brain. And some things that we've read um, regarding Jim and the insanity and the mental twist is Suddenly, it crossed my mind. Vaguely, I sensed I was not being any too smart. Yet, all reasons for not drinking, or in our case, compulsive overeating, were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea, the curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning, a trivial excuse for taking the first drink or compulsive bite. The insane idea went out. We have gone out deliberately to drink or compulsively overeat. Our feelings were justified. Our behavior is absurd and incomprehensible. And I can relate to all of this because I too went through all of this prior to a binge and I felt justified and, ha and I had that um, mental twist that, that proceeded before my first compulsive bite and I was not thinking about the consequences at that moment and I was in complete denial and then the next day um, when I had a horrific food hangover and I didn't want to get out of bed I would ask myself how did that happen again and the big book teaches us about a period of premeditation that it says in that second paragraph I read and I looked up the definition and it says the action of planning something especially a crime beforehand and I consider this disease a crime because it has robbed me of the person my higher power created me to be 
and it's robbed me of the life that my higher power wants me to live. So it is a crime. And um, the the big book teaches us that this is just plain insanity. And I have to continue reading and studying the big book and working the steps and working with others so I don't forget who I am and what it was like. And I will never be cured. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Kathleen W. And who would like to share on this paragraph? Katie G. from Boston. Katie. This is Bella. Can I share? Bella. Gotcha. Kim G. Kim G. Okay, we'll start with that. Katie G., Bella, and Kim G. Katie G., you're up. Oh, wow. Monica, can you hear me? I can. All right, perfect. Sorry, let me get my timer. Hey, guys, KDD, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic, calling in. Grateful. Um, grateful to be abstinent and sober by the grace of God. And I guess what uh, what came up for me today is, um, you know, the number of times I'm, like, sitting in therapy, right, and um, trying to figure it out. And I remember saying to a therapist, like, at what point is talking about my childhood and the painful things that happened, because they were painful, right? Like, we all have our stuff. It's not easy. At what point is talking about it going to help me? You know, at what point is it going to help me figure this all out? And there's no chapter in this book called Into Thinking, right? There's, there's, it's all into action, which is really good for someone like me, because I thought, and that's the first problem, that I could think my way out of the disease. But my main problem is in my thinking, right? The last time that I picked up the food, it was because eating was a step up from how I feel, right? So I have this. So this chapter, I was told, is more about relapse, more about relapse. What's going to bring me back to the food? And for me, it's all about not accepting my powerlessness. So I I am powerless. For me, I am powerless over um alcohol, food, um, so sugar, flour, and quantities, and, of course, being told what to do. Um, I don't like to accept direction. And then I have an obsession of the mind. And an obsession of the mind can be anything. It can be, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an agitated, restless, um, irritable person. You're not doing what I want. Um, I'm cold today. I can't get warm. Um, I'm not able to set these boundaries, and you're not reading my mind, and you're not doing what I want. And so I become obsessed. I'm thinking over and over and over and over and over again. And what's the problem that's blocking off God? And what's the problem if I'm blocked off from God? If I'm blocking off from God, then you're going to be the problem. And when I walk by that food, I have no mental defense. You know, I'm not in denial. I'm not denying anything. I'm in delusion. I'm believing the lie. I'm disconnected from God, and I'm believing the lie. I'm looking at the food, and I'm saying, you know what? This time it's going to be different, and here's how. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be like, how many times did I wake up and relapse, and somebody would call me? How did it happen? I don't really know. I don't really know. And it's because if I, if I look back. It always started for me with um, getting disconnected from God, not accepting my powerlessness, not accepting that, like, you know, whenever I'm agitated, I am the problem. If I am angry, it doesn't matter. I am the problem. There's no such thing as justifiable resentment. You know, I am a fear-based, 
food addict alcoholic and I must stay connected to God each and every day and I do that through my um, entire abstinence and through working the steps every single day and with that I do pass I'm doing it with you guys one more day thank you Katie G Bella G you're up thank you good morning everybody my name is Bella G and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater thank you Monica for doing this service and thank you very much everybody on the line Wow, such a wonderful, very powerful uh, reading. There was little serious or effective, effective thought. Yes, the thinking, the thinking. You know, before the, pro- before the program, my thinking was, you know, wasn't normal thinking. I just wasn't in control of my thinking. Whatever I was thinking, I just ran to the food. If I was thinking the people are bad or I was jealous or people were hurting me, I went to the food without thinking. And not only in those kind of feelings, when I was happy, when I was excited, I also went to the food. And every time, I just didn't think and one thing I believe that, you know, I don't have the willpower. I, am, I don't have the willpower enough to stop eating. And this was my thinking, my, my obsession in mind. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. Today I am connected to a loving power. Today I know I am powerless. And today I am not directed by my ego, by my power. Today I accept myself. Yes, I know I am human and I am not perfect. And today I pay attention to my thinking because by leaving the steps, I have the tools to manage my thinking. And if I am jealous, angry, disappointed, hurt, I learn to pause and to say, Bella, wait a minute. What's going on with myself, with myself only? Today I learned to pause and not to blame and not to judge, not others and not myself either, and to see where is my blockage in my connection to my higher power, to my loving power. Today I am not afraid, thank you, God, to live the present. And if, you know, and if, I, you know, I, 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 I am aware that my character defect, this, they are driving me, so I learned to stop and to leave the 10, 11, 12, and to go back to my loving, accepting power, the higher power. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Kim G., you're up. Good morning, Can you give us the page number? We're on page 37. Thank you. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Monica. And uh, I I love how everyone who's sharing has the last name of G, so we would all be sitting in the same homeroom together in in high school. I don't know why I follow that. Um, But uh, we now see that when we begin to drink deliberately instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be. So we just finished talking about Jim. He had that suddenly. It came out of left field suddenly. 
And now they're talking about, it's not any better if we premeditate it. You know, I have to tell you, many times I didn't go out to binge. What I went out to is I needed to get the edge off. You don't understand. If you had my life, I'm a stress eater. I'm an emotional eater. If you had my life, you'd have to eat too. In order to get that edge off, I have to have a little bit. So I wasn't going out to binge. I just needed a little bit. So I'll just tell you, some of my favorite binges, or my most common binges, was I would go out and I would go to four different stores because I didn't want to get all my binge foods in one place. And I would sit there on a coffee table and I would have Ben and Jerry's, cheese Danish, Ben and Jerry's, peanut something, Ben and Jerry's, and the wild card. And I would sit there and I would just go over that until I couldn't breathe anymore. And then I would go into the refrigerator and put away the ice cream until my stomach settled down and I would go again. But let me tell you, that's not what I started out doing. My premeditation is I'm going to buy my favorite binge foods because a little bit's going to be enough. I'll get the edge off and I'll save the rest for tomorrow. Not understanding that once I premeditated and made that decision, I wasn't going to be able to stop. You know, another one I had, you know, and this is the premeditation again. You know what? I work out today. I can afford to have it. You know what? I'm down five pounds. I can afford to have it. You know what? I've been absent in 30 days. I can afford to have it. And I would buy a pizza. And I would have four slices and I'd put the pizza back into the refrigerator and swear I wasn't going to have it again. But I didn't understand. I triggered the allergy. So 2 o'clock in the morning, I would get up and I would eat that pizza. And then I thought, no, I can't be doing this. So I would order the pizza just to get the edge off. And then I'd eat the four slices. I'd put the rest in the refrigerator. I mean, I'd put the, wrap it in tinfoil, put it in the trash and say, I'm not going to have it. And I would get up in the morning, in the middle of the night, and I would eat it. And the next time I would do the same thing, and I would put it in the trash without the tinfoil. And eventually what I would do is I would eat half the pizza, and I'd put Ajax on it. And I'd throw it in the trash, and I would still wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I would wipe the Ajax off, and I would eat it. That's, that is what I, the premeditation. I understood what was going to happen, and I didn't get the fact that over and over again that allergy was going to take me out. So whether it's premeditation or the suddenly, I have to understand my mind is not going to protect me from the first bite and the allergy will not protect me from continuing to binge over and over. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Kim. And who else would like to comment? Well, this is Monica, and I'm going to jump in here for a second. And I was thinking, is this... Okay, Renata. Y'all were sleeping this morning. Renata, Nessa. Salary B. Salary B. I didn't catch that. Melissa, somebody, Mark, Mark, you need to speak. My ears aren't real good. Mark, Melissa, somebody came on after Melissa. Leia D. Leia. Leia. Uh-huh. Leia. Okay, Leia. All right. Okie dokie. We've got a, a lineup here. Renata, Nessa, Valerie, Mark, Melissa, and Leia. Okay, Renata, you're up. Thank you, Monica. Thanks for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Reader in New York. And, uh, you know, they're clearly talking about the greater aspect of my disease here, right, the mental obsession. And um, you know what it brought up for me this morning was, um, you know, when that fight in my head would start, you know, I would 
be feeling uncomfortable for whatever reason, and that was a constant, right? It was every day. And uh, my mind would tell me to, you know, go pick up whatever, you know, uh, whatever was easier um, that was not on my food plan or was not on my diet. And, um, you know, I I didn't really have an idea of the allergy of the body, you know. Uh, but I knew the results were always bad when I picked up that first bite that, you know, I went out of control. And so, you know, like it's, uh, we read before, like I sensed that I wasn't being too smart when I picked up that first bite, but I had no mental defense against it, like it says here. And, uh, you know, the 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 thing about my disease is that, you know, because it says that we're insane when it comes to food. And that's what I had to accept. You know, it was not that I, you know, I couldn't hold a job, that I couldn't have friends, that I couldn't have a normal life. But it's that when it came to food, my brain somehow doesn't work, you know, the way it should, like it does with other things that could be harmful to me. Like one example that always comes to my mind, and you may find it ridiculous, but for example, when I pass in front of a store and if I see something really, really beautiful, it doesn't matter how much I like it, how beautiful it is, I don't just go in and steal it if I don't have the money to buy it. Why? Because I have sound reasoning. I know that if I do it, there will be very bad consequences, and so I don't even think about it. But with the food, it doesn't matter how miserable I felt, how depressed, how much I withdraw, uh, how much I wanted to die. You know, my mind would always convince me that it was a good idea to pick up the first bite. And what I had to realize and accept is that without working these 12 steps, without a spiritual solution, I would be always doomed to have that kind of thinking and so always doomed to picking up that first bike and living in a vicious cycle that I couldn't get out of. And so, you know, today that fight doesn't go on in my head anymore. Thank you, God. You know, uh, and it's all because of the work of the steps every day, every day. That keeps me sane when it comes to food and other things, too. But that I pass, thanks. Thank you, Renata. And Nessa, you're up. What's your last initial, please? Hi, did you call me Nessa R? I did. I did. Beautiful. Uh, so this is Nessa R, recovered in Toronto, Canada. And uh, what this paragraph is talking about, or what this uh, reading is talking about, is the insanity, the insanity that precedes the first bite. And, you know, like everybody on the line, I've done the same thing many, many, many times expecting different results but never getting different results. And after every binge, after every escapade, um, I would sing the national anthem of any, any, any addict, which is, I will never do that again. And yet, I did it again and again and again and again because um, I just couldn't help myself from, uh, from getting started again. And, you know, I, um, I was very relieved when I learned that there was nothing with my, wrong with my morals, there was nothing wrong with my intelligence, there was nothing wrong with my willpower 
or my knowledge or my self-respect or anything like that. The, I, I am the victim of this peculiar mental twist that prevents me from learning from the consequences um, of my actions, you know. And even more um, hopeful to me than learning that is was learning that there is a solution. You know, there's no solution besides entire abstinence for the allergy of the body. But the peculiar mental twist for that, there is a solution, and the solution is a sex. And now that I'm recovered, um, you know, I'm not no longer prey to that, um, that fleeting thought that this time I can have one. Actually, it's something really funny because my family and I take a lot of road trips. And as with any road trip, we stop a lot along the road to, uh, for my family members to buy coffee and, and go to the washroom. And as we're standing there waiting to be served, I, I look at the counter where all the pastries and all the, the goods are, and I say to myself, I say to myself the truth. I no longer say, oh, I can buy one and just eat one. I look at them and I just say, um, I could eat all that. All of those, every single one, not just one and not just one of each, but all of them, everything that's in that counter. And, you know, with that part in my mind, I don't even want to go there. I, there's no need to even go there because I am no longer insane. I no longer pray to that insidious uh, belief that this time will be different. And it is only because of the steps, because I work the steps, because I continue to work the steps, and as long as I continue throughout the rest of my life to uh, work those steps like my life depends on it, I will no longer be victim to the peculiar mental twist that convinces me that I can have just a little bit, because experience has proven time and time again that I cannot. But now I'm safe enough to know it, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Valerie B., you're up, and then it'll be Mark G. Hi, this is Valerie B. Thank you, everyone, so much for sharing your recovery. And um, I was thinking about this today, about how what brings us to that even to the thought of that first bite. And and I just, I know in the past when I think about it, when I've thought about times when I've done it, it's, it's this tremendous pain, this tremendous pain, pain, resentment, uh, anxiety, um, you know, just the things of, of, you know, being out in the real world facing, you know, in the marketplace, all the pressures and, um, and for today, I have a wonderful higher power that helps me and and gives me comfort and that that relieves me from this pain and stress and you know, like hot off the presses this week, I found myself i I took that first bite, and in the middle of it, it was my higher power just rescued me. Um, I should have called my sponsor right before it happened, but I didn't. And then uh, after I, I had, I, I took that, I took those bites, and then 
I just, I, you know, normally what happens is you're just off to the races, and, and that's what happens because we have a physical allergy. And, um, and then I, I couldn't believe that it happened, and I, 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 asked, I asked my higher power to please help me. And, and, uh, and then I, I, I walked away from it, and I, I, called, I called my, you know, I called my, my support team. I called people that I knew would understand, and they, it really, really works. It really, really works. And I should be totally flat on my face, down and out in the food. But today I have a higher power that's stronger than that binge, that's stronger. And I, I don't encourage anybody to take that first bite because just like the man we read about that went into the you know, went into the bar to have to have something to eat. He was just going to have a glass of milk. He was going to have a sandwich and then another one. And then next thing you know, he's drinking. And I feel that there are forces that push us towards destruction that are beyond us. And, and for today, I'm so grateful that my higher power is stronger than that, that I have a refuge. I have a place where I could go with my pain that I never knew was there before and with that I pass thank you for letting me share thank you Valerie B Mark G you're up and then it'll be Melissa hi I'm uh, Mark H I'm powerless over my allergens Uh, this passage uh, discussion discussing intentionality um, helped me a lot to let other people off the hook and myself Uh, if somebody uh, uh, appeared to me to be uh, premeditating uh, before they ate uh, or rationalizing and saying that, uh, uh, you know, I, I just don't uh, care right now uh, or um, I think it's, uh, uh, this is so bad um, that it's justified that I eat now. Uh, I would condemn them and I condemn myself as I condemn myself. And uh, and he says that even this kind of thinking, uh, uh, that there is a little serious or effective thought prior uh, to the occurrence uh, of the, the first uh, bite of the allergen. And uh, that helped, as I said, that helped me um, to have compassion for other people and to see how all-encompassing um, the, uh, the insanity is, um, that it wasn't confined to... Um, uh, casual uh, drinking, as uh, he talks about uh, Jim having, uh, it also the insanity also uh, encompasses uh, willful uh, acts of uh, eating allergens, and um, that was satisfying and relieving to me, and uh, helped me stop judging myself and others uh, quite a bit. Thank you. Oops. Thank you, Mark H. <laughs> And next up is Melissa, and then after that, it'll be Leah G. Hi, good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered compulsive overeater in New York, and um, yeah, I just, I really just love how this is really driving home to me. Step one, and um, my complete powerlessness to this, because um, you know, I have set out on times where I knew I was going to binge. I was really um, 
I was going to binge. This was it. I was very often um, thinking I was saying goodbye to food forever because, um, you know, there was going to be this Monday that was coming up. And um, so Saturday or Sunday um, was a great day for me to binge, you know, and, and, and go crazy. Like I was not in um, – on times like that, I was not thinking that I was going to have one. I set out fully intending to have many, many, many and everything that I wanted that I thought I needed to say goodbye to. And even in those moments, um, I really had no respect for the powerful nature of this disease and my powerlessness to it because I couldn't put it away on Monday, you know, and I still kept thinking I could, you know, and so on those times when I set out, um, I still, part of me knew that I was out of control, you know, and yet part of me thought that I was somehow controlling my out of control. And, um, you know, and this just really makes that clear to me that um, my mind is crazy when it comes to food. It has a blind spot. It it overestimates its its own strength and it underestimates the power of the addiction. And um, the only thing that has made it all um, clear um, is is my higher power. That is the most powerful force. And so, you know, it's like I can recognize the lie before I even tell it to myself. And the food just no longer looks appealing. And that's, you know, that's just incredible. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Leah G., you're up. Okay, so it's Leah D., not G. Sorry. <laughs> I know everybody wants G's today, but okay. Uh, so my, my name is Leah D., and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I've been in the rooms 42 years, had long stretches of abstinence, but I am a chronic relapser. And by the grace of God, today is day 83. And yesterday was a gripping day. You know, I've been listening to the meetings, and I say, well, yeah, I guess I can relate, I can feel, but unless you feel it in your gut... So it was a very hard day yesterday, and all I could imagine myself doing was swimming in cheesecake, and I kept calling people and reaching out and praying to God, and it was a whole day of stress, on and off and on and off, and I was committed no matter what, you know, I the expression smiling and dialing, I just kept calling people, and if you weren't in, I went to the next one, and I shared it, and I said there was no way I was eating, and then last night I came home, unpacked the groceries, groceries, and here's the mental twist. Oh, I don't feel like making dinner. I'm just too tired. Why don't I just take two slices of this? It's a grain anyway. I get a grain at dinner. I'll have two slices of this, a little four ounces of that, a little of this and that, and that'll be enough, won't it? It's no big deal. I'm not hungry anyway. Well, it was like someone hit me in the head with, wow, could have had a V8, called the sponsor, called everybody, made a decision, laughed at myself, thank God, weighed and measured dinner, got it together, had indigestion, but that was my own stress, and knew that that is a mental twist. Right there and then, I could have been off and running for another two, three years. It wouldn't have mattered. And the fact that it happened so clearly, 
indicates how quickly it can happen. It doesn't have to be over days. It could be spontaneous and quick. It was no big deal. I was just too tired. Well, I'm grateful that I got this morning absent. I'm grateful that I had an absent in breakfast. I'm grateful that I have the willingness to dial the phone to be here. And um, I'm just so glad that I, I sit here in my, my kitchen in my pajamas and just shake my head. You know, everybody talks and I just shake my head. So if I keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'll have another 24 hours of reprieve and a chance to not let this thing grab me like a bear thingy and take over. With that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Leah D. And this is Monica T. And I am going to jump in here for a minute. And so here we are in more about alcoholism, and we are studying, we are learning about this obsession of the mind, this, this, the more powerful aspect of our disease. And on this page, I've gotten two things here that I feel that they're 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 trying to get across to me. And we were told the um, insanity. What is insanity? And I thought in the first paragraph it says that the definition to insanity is the inability to think straight. And then in here in this um, paragraph, our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happens. And I think that they're saying whether it happens that idea pops into my head suddenly, like Jim did over there, or I plan for a bid down the road, in either case, there is absolutely no memory in my little brain of the consequences of what's going to happen to me. So I think that there's two things going on here with this obsession of the mind. There's this inability to think straight when it comes to food and complete lack of memory of the consequences. And then as it was always, how did I happen to be, how did I get here again? Uh, and with that, I'll pass. And who else would like to share? This on is this Larry. All Larry? Larry, Charles. Anybody else? Suji. Leah M. Leah M. Okay, we'll go with that for now. Larry K., Charles H., Suji, and Leah M. Larry K., you're up. Thanks, Monica. Larry K., uh, recovered compulsive reader. Um, you know, it, with this paragraph reminds me that, um, you know, it can be frustrating. It can be really frustrating. I think with Jim, you know, Jim could have used whatever tools at his disposal to keep himself out of the alcohol. And it may have worked. It may work for a time. <clears throat> Sometimes I would call people. Sometimes I would bury my nose in the literature. Have you been there before? You know, where you, where you bury your nose in the literature, you wish upon a star. And sometimes when I would wish upon a star and I'd pray from a, you know, from a, you know, from a foxhole, rarely, but, but sometimes I, I might be given just a little bit of a reprieve and I'd think, wow, maybe that's a spiritual awakening. It's crazy, insane thinking. That's part of my insane thinking. The tools were never, ever, ever designed to get me well, and I thought they would get me well. I thought if I went to enough meetings and I buried my nose in the literature and I memorized the steps so I could look pretty darn good when I'm in front of a group of people so I don't look like a newcomer. See, the problem was is my ego was as wide as Lake Michigan. You know, it had never changed. It was all about appearances. 
It was all about quick fixes. The tools would never reduce my ego sufficient to eradicate, to extract out this obsession of the mind. It is indeed the obsession of the mind that keeps us going back again and again and again, no matter how much we wanted to, to not pick up. I'm not going to pick up. I'm not going to pick up. I'm not going to pick up. And then I pick up. Once you have a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, the problem is removed as long as we remain in fit spiritual condition. That's why we keep coming back here and we, we do these things. But it's a different state of mind entirely than the state of mind I had before, which was let me get out the hammer, the screwdriver, the whatever tool, and see if I can battle, do battle with this disease. I got tired of doing battle. Thank God for this program. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry Kay. Charles H., you're up, and then it'll be Suji. Good morning, uh, everybody. Thank you, Monica T., for your service. Charles H. will cover visionary adjustment today. So, Jim, 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 my man, Jim. Um, so I see, you, you know, you know, all the shares on um, on premeditation and, and, and suddenly. You know, I can tell you um, I've had several meetings in my head. I had several visions for me. I'm going to go ahead and go binge, and I'm going to go ahead and do it. And even though suddenly suddenly, I had them little quick one-second meetings that we just going to do this, Charles. Let's go. Let's go. Off to the races. But I also see here, um, as as in comparison with the doctor opinion where it says um, the phenomenon of craving, which is a rare and unusual craving. You know, I was talking to some men yesterday and, and, and talking about, you know, they was telling me that they had a craving. A craving is a mental obsession. A phenomenon of craving, which is stated five times in the doctor's opinion, is a craving rare and unusual beyond your mental obsession. Um, that you have to physically put that thing in your body. And here I see in this chapter um, the mental phenomenon, so the mental rare unusual thought, some crazy thought, whether you, whether it's premeditated or sudden, um, it, it's going to happen. It, you know, that word phenomenon sets me aside as a, a different entity, not normal at all. See, because if I was normal, there's no reason I'd call into this meeting. If I was normal, I would never, I'm perfect. What I'm calling y'all for, what y'all going to do for me? So I know I'm sick every single day, and I'm getting my treatment every single day. And, uh, yeah, and and, and through the step work. You know, because real real talk, to be honest with you, um, Character assassinating people that share every day is, is, is like seven things I talk about and, and commit to my sponsor. But that's that's my demons, and I work with that every single day, and I'm grateful for all you guys that share every day. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Charles H. Sue G., you're up, and then it'll be Leah M. Good morning. This is Sue G. from Michigan. Um, grateful to be here. Rough day yesterday, more food thinking. It's, you know, when it's like a double whammy for me. Um, I don't go out and deliberately, I will not go out to the store anymore. I don't, I don't experience for some reason the deliberate, but it's in the house all the time. It didn't used to be when all of a sudden now it's being brought in all the time, not by me, but by someone else. 
And when I have that worry, that anger, that nervousness, depression, jealousy, uh, whenever I'm, it, it, it justifies it for some reason. I'm just starting to realize it through this paragraph. I'm justifying what I'm doing. Um, and I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking clearly at all. It's just insanity. It's there. Um, I had just a little bit the last time I had it, so certainly I can have just a little bit again. It's not a red food, so I can, I can go into this a little bit. And then lately I've been realizing that even though I consider it a yellow food, and even though I only have a little bit and I don't binge, I still have a lot of thinking to do, a lot of work to do, um, a lot of phone calls to make. Uh, to reach out before I do that, I've got to stop and think. Um, like in step 11, I've got to stop and think throughout the day. And I've got to be willing to make those phone calls because if I don't make those phone calls, I'm, I'm going to continue to eat a little bit of the yellow food and wait until all of a sudden something crashes and I binge. And I don't want to wait. Um, I was talking with my sponsor, and I just, uh, for some reason, I am just not ready to put down yellow foods yet. And that's danger for me. Um, I can see when it gets bad enough, probably I'll put it down, but I don't want to have a binge before that happens. You know, I don't want to um, end up having way too much of something. Um, I thank God that that he's keeping me safe with just the the few bites of of yellow food. And and I just have to go to him and ask him for more help before and be more willing to move some of those foods over so that I don't go through this. Um, It's... I don't go. I don't have to go out for it, um, and I I'm just not in a good place right now. And I know that that's not a good time to eat yellow foods. And I know some people say there are no such things as yellow foods, but in my life there is. That's where I am right now, and and hope to be accepted just the way I am right now. And Time. thank you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Suji, and Leah M. You're up. Thanks so much, Monica. Uh, We now see that when we began to drink deliberately instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might might be. I mean, the big book is doing its its best here to teach um, about the defective mind that we have if we're a real compulsive overeater, that, you know, my mind was inherently flawed and it was suffering from this obsession of the mind where one idea uh, would enter my consciousness and it would dominate it, it would govern my mind in such a way that all other ideas were shoved aside. I was possessed. It was hijacking me. (laughs) It didn't matter that uh, there were threats of divorce. It didn't matter that I went to sleep the night before uh, crying, uh, suffering, feeling tortured, uh, and and swearing that I would never do it again. I'm not going to binge again. I'm not going to eat like that again. I'm not going to lie like that again. And yet the obsession became my only reality. 
And there were times where I thought I was, you know, making a decision, merely choosing to change my mind. Okay, I'll eat tonight, and I'll start again tomorrow. But, you know, as my disease continued to progress, even in these rooms, I saw the truth. And people in whom the problem had been solved carried a message of hope to me, a message of hope. That I was not changing my mind. I was compelled to drink beyond my ability to control it. Compelled to binge beyond my ability to control it. They taught me that by going through the 12 steps, I would be restored to sanity. I would have soundness of mind. The program of recovery, the 12 steps taken in proper sequence while back-to-back abstinent the entire way would drive out the obsession of the mind and allow me to walk a free woman. And that's the buzz I was looking for, that this book is designed to bring about an experience. I mean, if you flip to page 84, (laughs) you'll see the difference, right? For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. We're not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. You know, this program is about a vital change. It's not about a temporary respite. It's about the 12-step process that drives out the obsession of the mind. We're restored to sanity. I no longer want those things. I recoil. Why in the world would I want it? Why would I even entertain the thought? It's not there. I no longer feel the need to self-destruct by my own hand under the guise of seeking ease and comfort. You know, <laughs> there, there is a way out here. There is a way out. You can be restored to sanity. Uh, it takes work. It takes commitment and dedication and willingness. Um, and those who are recovered here and in whom that problem have been solved tell you there is a way out, and it works when you work it. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Um, we've got about a minute left. Would somebody like a minute? Okay. Well, this is Monica, and I'm just going to – I forgot that I wanted one more thing I wanted to say earlier. So what what does this do to me? You know, I can't think straight. I have no memory of the consequences. I'm screwed. I don't do what I want to do, and I can't do what I don't want to do. And I need a power. I am totally, totally powerless over this mental obsession, and I need a power greater than me. And that was found by doing the steps. And like everyone is saying, there is a way out of here. We're, there is a solution. Thank you, God. And with that, I pass. And we've come to the end of our time for today. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Chrissy M., Could you read for us, please, from Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Star one to unmute. Chrissy, we can't hear you. Monica, this is Kathy. I can do it if she doesn't come on. Okay. All right, go ahead, Kathy. 
Oh, I think Thanks. she's here. Chrissy? I, I am here, but I'm 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 going I'm going to ask Kathy to please do it for me because I got something came came okay. up I can't avoid. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay, Kathy Kay, you're Okay, thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.